when we were looking to develop our culture agenda, we really set out to answer three questions. Why should I work for you? Why should I bank with you? And how should I behave? Welcome to Keeping Work Human, a podcast series about tackling the tough topics of cultivating and maintaining strong organizational cultures. Each episode features pioneering CHROs and business leaders who share stories, learnings, and their path forward in a workplace that has changed forever. Hello, humans. Derek Irvine here, Senior Vice President of Client Strategy and Consulting at WorkHuman. So welcome back to another episode of Keeping Work Human. Today, I'm joined by a very special guest, Dr. Maria Angelica Perez. Uh, Maria Angelica is a Global Head of Diversity and Inclusion at Standard Chartered Bank, which of course is a leading international banking group located in London. You're very welcome and thank you for joining us today, Maria Angelica. Hello, Derek, and thank you for having me. I'm um, very pleased to be joining you today. So, Maria Angelica, you have a very interesting background. Um, tell us a little bit about your background and what brought you into the DEI space. Um, well, I'm a native Colombian, but I grew up in New York and now have lived in London for the last 17 years. As you mentioned before, I'm currently the Global Head of Diversity and Inclusion at Standard Charter Bank. What brought me into the DNI space? I think, unlike most people, um, I was not necessarily looking to become a DNI specialist. I was working in learning at the time at HSBC, and I was doing a learning needs analysis. And as part of that analysis, I saw a gap within the diversity and inclusion space. And with discussing with my boss at that time, I said, look, it doesn't seem that we're doing quite a lot of stuff. And, and, and you know, we're supposed to be the world's local bank. I like to explore this area. And it, it was a quite interesting answer I received from him where he, where he said, well, if you want to explore that, that's fine. But that's not really what I pay you for. So if you want to do that on your own time, I'm OK with that. And I kind of, you know, that kind of set me thinking is, is this something that I want to take? You know, do I take, do I try to take, you know, this extra work on? What would it mean? Um, can I deliver my own job and try to do this on the side? And I decided, you know what, this could potentially be an opportunity. And I know a lot of people shy away from, from things like that, but I said, you know what, I'm going to try it. So I did, I just started doing some research. I called around many of the offices, just trying to understand what countries were doing or different business areas were doing in, in this space. And I met a lot of people who were driving diversity and inclusion, but it, it wasn't a joint strategy. Uh, it were more like country-specific strategies or plans. And I met someone else who said, look, I'm more than happy to work with you on this. And we put a paper together on where the organization was globally, what, what was the competitive landscape like, and kind of propose what we think the company should be doing. That's what led me into the DNI world. That paper, we, we shared it with my boss. That paper then was brought up to the management team. And I think they realized, wow, there is a gap that we haven't put something together that, that is more coherent as a strategic approach in regards to diversity and inclusion. And as part of that, I was asked to help lead in this space. And that's how I started my career in, in diversity and inclusion. I have to be honest, I really felt, you know, can I really take on this role? I'm not a specialist in this space. So that led me to very quickly try to find how I build an external network to learn about this, 
really looking to upskill myself in this area. And I decided to go get a doctorate degree. And my doctorate has a focus on diversity and inclusion and workplace bullying. After that, I worked at UBS. And there I was leading more for a region. So Europe, Middle East and Africa and looking after 29 countries. And that role was really important for my growth around how do you implement a strategy? How do you manage different countries that are in very different spaces? And how do you make it land in the business? And then from there, uh, I moved on to Ericsson in Ericsson, and I looked after 180 countries um, with over 110,000 employees. And, and then now I'm extended charter. Preparing before the call, we noted um, that you had mentioned joining Standard Charter Bank for you. One of the reasons you joined was because you, you saw it as being very human, um, a very human bank. Uh, what does being a human organization mean to you? And um, what makes that attractive to employees and, and lead customers? It, it, this is quite an interesting question because the reason why I joined Standard Charter was because they wanted to be a human bank. And I wanted to be part of that cultural journey to see whether a bank could be perceived as human. Yes. So for me, a bank that, that focuses on being human places people at the center and does the right things in the right way, which means that we're keeping clients and communities front of mind in all that we do, that we're responding to feedback from clients, to see them more, to ask more questions, to understand their business better. Also, the human element, the talking more, celebrating more, thinking about others more. For us, it was also thinking about our approach to conduct risk and financial crime, but also recognizing that people are our greatest assets. So the more we engage people, the more that they'll be productive, the more that they're able to bring their whole selves to work. And the more that we look to provide them space and time for value-adding work uh, to enable them to grow, develop, and innovate. Being human is also about being ambitious and performance-focused. It, it's about making the tough calls when you need to make those, those, those tough calls, yeah. but executing them in the right way and really discussing with being transparent and discussing with individuals why these decisions are being made. It's also about providing that, that feedback and performance, uh, and performance feedback on time so that people know where they, they really stand and that they're, treating, they're being treated as, in, as individuals. Yeah. Being human also means taking the opportunity that technology and digital capabilities provide for us to really think how we're going to design something that is digital client-centric, but also that provides a better employee experience in a way that is both human, inclusive, and innovative. One of the things that I'm very encouraged by is that I don't think it's any longer uh, a question of option A or option B, you know, profitability versus considering your, your, your humans or success as a business. I think what we, we now see, certainly in our research, certainly our clients, certainly from what you're saying, you know, that uh, they, they go hand in hand. Completely agree. I mean, and, and it was quite interesting because when we were looking to develop our culture agenda, we really set out to answer three questions. Why should I work for you? Why should I bank with you? And how should I behave? And we started thinking about, well, how do we develop empathy for clients? How do we find out how we help them to be successful? And how effective are we or aren't we? And why? 
And we actually involved our employees. We had interviews, workshops, with, with, we had client feedback, we reviewed data, and we actually started to think about, well, all of these insights need to come up into the change that we require into a single word that everyone can remember, can understand, can get behind. And of course, that word for us was human, to become a more human organization. So even the process of coming up with what we wanted to do was done in a human way. We're engaging all of our stakeholders to come up with, this is what we're going to be doing. So tell me a little bit, um, uh, Marie Angelica, if we can dig a little double click on a couple of those. Um, where are you focusing your energy and resources in, in terms of some specific EI initiatives in, in 2021 looking forward? So our purpose is to drive commerce and prosperity through our unique diversity. It's embedded in who we are. And our priorities have not changed dramatically. We're actually just either looking to uh, accelerate progress in some of the journey that we're doing. But if I, if I, I'll start with sharing a little bit of our strategy, because then that gives you an idea of what are the areas we're working on and then which areas we're looking to accelerate. So, as part of our strategy, we're looking to build a, a, culture, a culture of inclusion because we believe it's, it's, it's a lever for our business success. As part of that, there are three pillars of our strategy which look to, uh, to, to us to be the best place to work, the best place to bank, but also to contribute to creating prosperous communities. And the first pillar, best place to work, this is all about the culture and all about the people in our organization. So we will look here at demographical representation, building inclusive, inclusive leadership skills, development, attraction, retention, engagement to maximize performance. When we think about the, the, the second pillar, which is all about the best place to bank, here's where we're thinking about the client. What do we need to do to ensure that we're meeting their needs? And how do we either create new products and services or tailor the current products and services that, that we have to ensure it addresses um, across our, our different populations and our different markets? And then the last one around prosperous communities, this is really where we're looking to support a diverse and responsible supply chain. So here we talk about supplier diversity, but also we look at investing in our communities this is all about our sustainability strategies. A lot of people ask me, well, where's gender? Or, or where, where's ethnicity? Because it doesn't kind of fall under, you know, you, you don't name it, those, those things within those pillars. And the reason we don't is because we actually have five focus areas. And we look at gender, nationality and ethnicity, generations, disability, sexual orientation. But when we think about our strategy, we kind of say, well, you need to think of the three pillars. So I'll offer, as an example, I'll give the client pillar. And maybe as part of the client, we want to look at generations. And we want to say, well, we want to understand how generation, how clients in generation Y are engaging with our brand and our products uh, versus generation X or baby boomers. If we see any discrepancies or any gaps, then what are the strategies or plans that we need to put in place to ensure that the engagement levels or the usage of products are around the same for, all, for these generations. We can potentially have client brand metrics around gender yeah. in some countries versus other countries because maybe there's a need there. So it isn't just about focusing on gender. It's about looking at the three pillars and then the focus areas and finding 
the, the connections between all of them. It, it strikes me a total focus on inclusion. You know, do, do all of these different groups feel genuinely like they belong? Absolutely. And not only is it about that inclusion piece, but we also have a commitment to equip our workforce with the skills and support to realize their potential, but also to drive prosperity through financial, social, and mental and physical well-being. So that's also part of our strategy, this well-being piece, which kind of ties into your question around what are your priorities now, right? 2020 really brought that to life with COVID-19 because it meant that we accelerated our, um, our well-being agenda. I think for 20, in 2021, we will continue to accelerate our well-being agenda, but we're also going to be looking at uh, new ways of working and the future of work. And because of all the work that has been happening now with Black, Black Lives Matter, we're going to be further progressing our focus around nationality and ethnicity. Let's talk a little bit more about that, because I was going to ask you about at a kind of a wider world level. You know what? What DEI challenges and in, in, indeed opportunities you see emerging as the world now. Hopefully, uh, we start to emerge out of this COVID situation in the next number of months. Look, it's very important to recognize the value of inclusion during challenging times, and I have to say, I know that many organizations across the world have increased their focus on diversity and inclusion and well-being. But at the same time, I've also heard of a lot of organizations who've kind of said, well, we just need to fo- try to focus to, de- to deliver on the client. And this is not as important for us right now. Yes. Um, and I think that's, that's a real myth because it is going to be embedded in what employees expect from organizations. And it's part of, of the future of work, which and, and, and to be honest, we are already in the future of work. So I think that that is a real opportunity. But it can also be something that companies just kind of dismiss because they may see it as something that is softer and not necessarily connected to their business outcome. And which tells us that these organizations may not have really understood yet the value of diversity and inclusion. Yeah. I think there's other areas of urgency, um, which are opportunities, is how we look to advance gender equality. Part of this is women have played an important role in fighting the pandemic. Yes. However, its aftermath will have, will have a greater negative impact on women on various fronts, especially financially. So the need for, for, for action will likely become even more urgent in the context of COVID-19 because women are going to be harder hit by the economic fallout. Yet women, uh, both officially and unofficially, have supported most of the world's health care provision. Yes. And we know that women make up around 70, 70% of the global health care workers and 76% of unpaid caregivers. And therefore, we need to ensure that we are thinking about what's going to happen to, to all of these women and how do we support them through a diversity and inclusion agenda going forward. So I think there's going to be even a, a greater need to ensure that we're able to bring these women back in, into the workplace. Yeah. Quite interesting, because as we think about other opportunities here, as the world is changing and we're seeing divisions between many, many countries, the rise of nationalism, yes. that opportunity for companies to really start having these discussions. And I know people will say these are difficult discussions, but I think this is the right time. 
I think also provides the the opportunity for companies to not only have these conversations in location, and, and what I mean by that is not just talk about ethnicity in the U.S., but actually expand that to to their global populations. Uh, I have discussed this quite a lot with other heads of diversity, and some have said, yes, we've only talked about ethnicity in the U.S., but not with the rest of our company. And yet some companies have said, actually, we have had listening sessions around uh, ethnicity and nationality in China, in Singapore, in India, in the UAE. And it's quite interesting when you start to hear how employees are interacting with this subject. What is the impact for them, what are the challenges that they see? What are the gaps they see? But also, what are the potential um, opportunities and solutions that they see where companies can support more? I think this is that's a really interesting area that we're just going to see more and more and more growth in. Of course, well-being and mental health is going to be top of mind this year. I think people currently are fatigued, mentally fatigued, of the pandemic of being at home, of having multiple responsibilities, um, especially for those working at home and at the same time doing um, homeschooling, um, maybe looking after um, elderly parents at the same time. So, you know, a focus of on, on building resilience, on keeping employees engaged, um, helping them to connect virtually in a different way, that kind of creating that water cooler moment. We know that more and more employees are asking for flexibility. Absolutely. So, um, you know, how, this is this is a really a real time for the opportunity to develop more long term agile solutions, so that more individuals, more diverse individuals, are included in the workplace. Even though companies have been working on flexible working for many many years. The pandemic has helped accelerate this. People have seen that people can work from different places and still be productive. Yeah. And employees are saying, we want to continue with this. Doesn't mean always from home, but maybe some, some, some in a hybrid way. And I think companies need to take that opportunity now. You mentioned you know, that organizations need to become more active in this space. It's, it's interesting, the Adelman Trust Index, I'm sure you're familiar with it, shows that uh, people have greater trust in the teams within which they work today than they in fact have in many of their governments or or other governmental organizations. So it is an ideal opportunity, I think you're right, for organizations to take a lead in this space. Um, One last question for you, Maria, Angelica. In in, in a word, what what, what gets you really excited about 2021 when you, you think about the year ahead? This is the moment to drive change. And I think um, this is the moment for people to stand up and be counted and take that seat at the table. And if that seat is an offer, bring your own seat. And I think the other thing that excites me is that this is now global. This is no longer my, my, you know, my company is headquartered here. So this is where we're doing something. This is something that now really needs to be looked at from a global perspective which makes this space very interesting for uh, for new and upcoming practitioners in this space. But it also means it's an area of growth and development for practitioners. And that also makes it really exciting because they have to now, you know, a couple of years ago, how many DNI experts thought that they needed to know about well-being? 
very probably very few. Yeah. So it's a growing area uh, for development. And I guess what, what I'm passionate about is learning. And therefore, I just see this area expanding and really starting to take a seat at the table within the executive teams, within the management team, reporting into, into CEOs, uh, being part of the HR management teams. And I think that's really exciting because I think that's going to help accelerate the pace of change. It is a moment to seize, isn't it? It's been wonderful to speak with you today. Thank you very much for sharing your energy and your vision. To our listeners, if you enjoy keeping work human, uh, leave us a review or hit that subscribe button to automatically receive our next episode. Everybody stay human and thanks for listening.